and welcome to another episode of Funko Radio. This is your host Kyle. And this is your host Peter. <laughs> I love that you're now like the, dico- the dichotomy of my extra low voice. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Lenny and, uh, and uh, George. What do we do, George? What do we do? Good book. Sad book. Oh my god, that book depressed the crap out of me. Yeah. You saw the? Did you see the movie? Uh, where? Oh shit! What's his face? Um, John Malkovich played George. Yeah, I did actually. Played see Lenny. That. that was such <laughs> yeah. a messed up movie. Oh my god! And like, it took me a long time to realize that that was John Malkovich. By the way, I just remember because we obviously read Mice and Men in high school, and. At some point during the course of reading that book, they showed us the movie. And I'm like, the movie's even more effed up than the book. It's like, we're going to pet the rabbits, George. (laughs) Yeah, we are. (laughs) Well, the listeners didn't come here to hear about uh, literature. We didn't come here to read. (laughs) So what are we actually talking about today, Peter, besides for... uh, um, large, simple-minded men who crush women and rabbits. You came up with this idea, actually, Kyle. Um, I did. Uh, apparently, there's been a little... There, I mean, historically, there's a little bit of a trend of famous singers, specifically in the genres that we talk about, um, who, at some point after the peak of their career, um, go basically completely bankrupt, which is kind of impressive yeah. considering how much money these people made and how yeah. popular they were so we wanted to just have a happy old time highlighting some of those instances <laughs> some of their financial failings mm-hmm. yeah the the trend i noticed in a lot of these which we'll probably get into more in the episode is is they lost out on royalty rights and that is like the bread and butter of any successful oh artist. is that what happened yeah if you mm. lose out on royalties you basically lose out on all future income far after you retire or break up or whatever so they do they do they not get royalties at all or do they just not get enough? They either went bankrupt so they had to sign their royalties over to the record label or they like lost their royalties through uh, like financial mismanagement. And dang. you know, when you're 50, 60, 70 years old and your band or your career is long over, you still make royalties on every time that so- your song is played till the end of time until you die basically. Mm-hmm. And if you lose out on that, you lose out on a lot of basically like nest egg type income hmm. so yeah, well that sucks sadness. and if you listeners want to learn more about how music royalties work um i'm oh, trying yeah, to figure we, out which episode that was we oh. did go really into depth in that that was a good episode that was episode 124 thank you it was eight episodes ago oh man that's it that seems like so long ago well we had a lot of breaks of like a month or two true since then so True we've, we've kind of uh slowed down at the beginning of our uh funk radio run i don't i don't remember why i was looking back on old episode listings but we were doing like two to three to a week that was when we were both jobless because we were both unemployed so that definitely made a difference yeah true anyway that. we're, hey that's we're relevant s- because we weren't making money true that we're slowly getting back into the groove but yeah we we've had some hiatuses here and there just because of different life events Mm -hmm. so that comes with the territory i suppose um speaking of (laughs) speaking uh, of terrible life events (laughs) yeah no i was gonna say i mean like um 
since we just started, you know, started talking about losing out on royalties and stuff, um, were there any particular that fell? I mean, were they all like this, or were, I mean, were there any particular not, that that kind of fell into of, that category? Not all of them, but one that stood out to me uh, most was uh, George Clinton. Obviously, we've talked about him many times on the show. He's one of the band leaders of Parliament Funkadelic. Mm-hmm. Obviously, considered one of the forefathers of funk music in general. And basically, he was prevented from being able to profit on any of the songs that he wrote between 1976 and 1983, which is basically almost the entire span of the Parliament career. He was going to say that's basically everything that they did was in that time span. Exactly. And the reason for this is because when he filed for bankruptcy in 1984, he didn't disclose these songs as a source of possible future income. Therefore, he kind of forfeited the royalty rights to making future income off of those songs outside of touring or whatever. Um, That's weird. And so, because he he didn't declare these songs as sources of income when he declared bankruptcy, he wasn't able to retain the rights to them, and it's considered... Uh. It's, it's estimated that he basically has lost out on, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in possible income. Which kind of sucks. Just a reminder to you listeners to always fill out the paperwork properly. Yeah, and now he lives in a van down by the river. (laughs) Well, that's... I mean, that's terrible. I mean, like... I want to say he's one of the few people on this list who actually are still alive. Um, yeah, yeah, really. Although it might be about half and half. But, yeah, that's pretty terrible. I mean, forgive me for having to ask this. I don't know if you know more than I do about that. Like, so how does it actually work when you file for bankruptcy? Like, what happens? When you file for bank- for personal bankruptcy, basically what happens is you basically have to prove, like, I make shit money or I or I have no money in savings and I have an exorbitant amount of debt and depending on what that debt is you basically can have that debt expunged from your record where you basically prove like there's no way I can pay this therefore now I'm filing for bankruptcy and basically don't have to pay it now the punishment of doing that is you basically kind of well A you fuck your credit forever oh and that makes sense. Basically, how do I describe it? It basically means like, yeah, you're forfeiting, you know, this debt that you're obligated to pay, but it basically makes it impossible for you to attain any a lot any future debt. It's hard to do any and you know get loans or anything after that. I see. And a lot so of time, it, it kind of wipes the slate clean, but then any time in the future. You're basically not going to get any help. Yeah, and not only that, depending on what the debt is, sometimes they can garnish your wages to pay off certain debts that can't be expunged, even mm. though they they may be reduced considerably. Mm. They they you know you'll have to have your wages garnished or something in order to pay them. So it's well, like, that sounds oh, pretty of, terrible. Instead of a hundred thousand dollars in debt, you know you only have to pay twelve thousand, but we're going to garnish your wages to pay it. I see. Kind of stuff. So when he didn't disclose his music as a source of possible future income, 
basically uh, the the rights to the music is almost considered like a uh, an asset, a commodity, similar to like equity on a house. Okay. You know, possible future earnings from the increase in value in a house, similar to possible future earnings of the value of a song, of a creative property that you made. Huh. The royalties. So he forfeited his rights to those songs when he declared bankruptcy and didn't say, "Hey, by the way, I'm gonna I might make future income on this on these songs." I see. Now I don't know if that if that uh, those rights were automatically deferred back to the record label or what. But yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, I don't I mean I don't know exactly how that works in that instance, but yeah. Huh. Sadness. You learn something new every day, listeners, especially when you listen to Bunk Radio. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well, that's George Clinton. Basically, he's not the Godfather of funk. I think that's James Brown. I'm trying to think. George Clinton has his own like little he's title. A, I don't remember which he, which it is. He's like the creepy uncle of funk. The funk. <laughs> that's actually that's really accurate. I like that. <laughs> Who do you want to talk about next? Uh, Marvin Gaye. Even though that's just a sad rabbit hole of a story. All right. So, obviously, in previous episodes, we've already discussed the unfortunate, untimely death of Marvin Gaye. However, even before his death, he had a lot of hardships. Um, He filed for bankruptcy in 1976 after a court ruling promised the $600,000 in royalties from his next album to his ex-wife to make up for his overdue alimony payments. Ugh. Alimony being, you know, I divorced you and I have to give you half my income or some shit. Right. I'm just thinking like, dang, that's a lot of money. $600,000. Yeah. Damn. The the ironic thing was that this out al- this particular album was called Here My Dear and it detailed <laughs> the personal, the personal, I guess, ups and downs of his rocky marriage. <laughs> so. Wow, that sucks. Yeah, um, basically, you know, at that point, he, it was kind of the waning years of his career. He basically, like, moved to Europe to obviously avoid more scrutiny and, you know, lived a, his remaining years there, presumably addicted to certain things because he had very, what's the word, well, known drug problems. Mm. Um, and then, you know, after that, moved back in with his parents, back uh, in the United States, and then obviously had a conflict with his father where he was shot. That's so, true. That is sad. Yeah. So, poor Marvin Gaye. I, this may be anecdotal, so I'm trying to get actual facts on this, but I, I did read somewhere that like during his time in Europe he was basically so poor he was living in like a like a delivery truck but oh wow I, that may be anecdotal I don't I've know. never heard that oh this isn't necessarily about it but it says in December 78 Gay issued Here My Dear inspired by the fall of his first marriage to Anna Gordy oh yeah remember I forgot about that controversy because he basically didn't he like marry Barry Gordy's sister oh did he yeah, wasn't that the whole controversy? Or was, it his, was it his daughter? Or was it his sister? Shit, I can't remember. What's her name? Anna Gordy. Oh, yeah, she's a, she's his sister. She's Barry oh, okay. Gordy's sister. Um, 
That's awkward. Yeah, well, she's definitely that. better looking than Barry Gordy was. He's <laughs> a scary, scary looking guy. Yes. Um, so this album, Here My Dear, basically flopped terribly. So, and during that period, uh, he developed a very uh, hard addiction to cocaine hmm. and uh, was dealing with financial issues with the IRS. These led him to move to Maui, where he then struggled to record a disco album. And then in 1980, went on a European tour. And by the time the tour had stopped, he had relocated to London, where he feared imprisonment, imprisonment, uh, extradition and imprisonment for back taxes that he owed to the U.S. government, which mm. at that point had reached upwards of $4.5 million. Holy shit. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's messed. Poor, poor Marvin Gaye. He's not really good at paying his stuff because he didn't pay his alimony. He didn't pay his taxes. I mean, come on, man. When you're addicted to drugs, pretty much anything outside of just, I need more drugs kind of goes, becomes like secondary. I guess. Unfortunately, I don't think he was best with money, money management. Which is funny because George Clinton, obviously, I think, I mean, no one would argue that. He did he a ton of drugs too, but yeah. it was not. I don't think that was like the cause of him becoming bankrupt. Plus, mm. that was with that brand of funk. I think the drugs, you know, made the music much like everything else in the seventies. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, I guess, a very different type of drug use. True that. And hell, maybe maybe it did lead to it because we don't really know what we didn't really say what led to his bankruptcy, right? Who? George George Clinton. Yeah, that's 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 one thing I never was really able to see. I just assumed some sort of money mismanagement, but it didn't say like he went bankrupt because he owed money because he had a shitload of kids. It was mm. just he- well, I mean, we we said that he was prevented from profiting from his songs between seventy six and eighty three by who was that by the record label. Like, did he just sign a really terrible? Now that's that, yeah, that's deal? that's a possibility that I'm not sure about. But it it will come up in other people we talk about. Is he mm. may have declared bankruptcy to separate from his record label? That actually has happened. To try to I thought, to try to get oh, out, really? to try to get out of contracts. I thought the reason that Parliament because Parliament and Funkadelic were similar, or they were slightly different, but basically the same group of people, two different bands. And I thought the reason that he had to was that was something to do with record labels or finances. You may be like, yeah, you may be right. I want to say that was the reason that that was, they were even two different bands. Oh yeah. Maybe this has something to do with it. I don't know. Maybe that's a very good point. Like he, like just speaking theoretically, like he couldn't make money from songs he wrote for parliament. So instead he made Funkadelic to make money on the side with a different label. I, Oh, here we go. And again, that's just speculation. I found an interesting article, actually, through The Observer. Uh, oh, okay, that's interesting. Basically, George Clinton was trying to win back the rights to his master recordings from the record label um, because a lot of his stuff was getting sampled, and he wanted the master recordings to try to retain some rights to those samplings. Uh, oh, okay. As we know, his a lot of his stuff was sampled by rap artists. Um, yeah, a lot actually. This this supposed bankruptcy was actually quote part of a systemic fraud to deprive Mr. Clinton of millions of dollars owed to him from his 
highest-selling single, um, Atomic Dog. Okay. So he was. So he he his his hand was basically forced in that. It sounds like it. Really? Wow. That's. Jeez. Yeah, that's because he was trying to get the rights to it, and they were like, "Screw you! Mm-hmm. Now you're bankrupt." Pretty much. Yeah, basically, that sounds like the, the long and short of it. It's funny. I have a uh, biography that I bought from George Clinton that I need to read, which probably will hopefully shed some, shed some light on this. Did you buy that when you were visiting me? Yes, I forgot about yeah. that. I bought it at the uh, Portland book, famous Portland bookstore. Powell's Books. Thank you. <laughs> Man, George Clinton does look old. He did not age well. Poor George Clinton. Isn't he like in his 70s? Yeah. Yeah, he's old, but some people mm. age gracefully, some people don't. <laughs> uh, I think you were saying earlier that there were other examples in this list of people who went kind of bankrupt because of the record label. Yeah, I guess one I could talk about here is the artist Tony Braxton. I don't know if we ever talked about her. She's kind of R&B, late 90s. I don't think we've ever talked about her. TLC type stuff, you know. Don't go chasing waterfalls, all that stuff. (laughs) I guess her most famous song is Unbreak My Heart. So, Unbreak My Heart. (laughs) Unbreak My Heart. Don't, you know, put it back together. Unbreak it. (laughs) So um, this, this artist... Tony Braxton uh, sold over 15 million albums in the years leading up to her uh, 1998 filing of bankruptcy. A lot of money, basically, to be made. And yeah. a lot of people believed that she filed for bankruptcy, bankruptcy so she could get out of the recording contract with her label, LaFace. Um, at the time of her filing, she was $3.9 million in debt, uh, including... Wow that and all of her household possessions, basically her assets, including two Grammys that she was awarded in 1997. Um, and I guess despite the conflict with her label and her trying to file for bankruptcy uh, to get out of that contract, she actually signed a new contract in 1999, which obviously means that that bankruptcy was successful, uh, worth $25 million with the same label of face. So basically she filed for bankruptcy to get out of a shitty contract with LaFace so that she could renegotiate it and get more money. Which, so she went from being $3.9 million in debt into $25 million dollar in the deal. green? Yeah, pretty much. That's I mean, obviously, sweet. some of that was used to pay off debt, but or could yeah. used to pay off debt. Still got $20 million left over. True that. Yeah, that's a lot of artists kind of make those moves where like, you know, early in their careers because they're young and dumb and don't know, you know, don't read contracts, they get signed into shitty contracts where mm. it's like, oh, we're going to take 90% of your shit. They become <laughs> successful and they're like, oh, fuck, I'm not making nearly as much as I could, yeah. you know, try to get their way out of this contract through bankruptcy or whatever other means and renegotiate for something more lucrative for them. It's not uncommon. Uh, funny anecdote. I don't, obviously, I don't think we've ever talked about him on the show, but you know who Tom Petty is, right? Yeah. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Well, long story short, when I guess he originally was starting in Florida, like every other band back in the 70s, he moved to California to make it big. On his way to California with his bandmates, he was in Texas, basically got suckered into signing his, the rights to his music over to this old hippie in Texas. Um... <laughs> How does that happen? And the guy gave him some... I don't know. Because he's like he was like 17 at the time. He was dumb. Uh, the guy gave him some seed money, you know, a small amount of money, like 
thousand dollars, whatever, to make us, you know, start recording. Ends up making his way to Las Vegas or to Las Vegas to Los Angeles. Sorry, signs a huge contract with Capitol Records or something or Columbia. I don't remember. Um, and basically, Columbia realizes, oh wait, there's this contract floating around where basically this hippie guy owns all, owns all the income for these songs. Well, owned by a hippie guy. <laughs> yeah, they buy that contract off hippie guy for I don't know. whatever. And now the giant record label basically completely owns all of the rights to everything that they produce now and in the future. The Mm. only money that they make that they can keep for themselves is from touring. Everything else, royalties, album sales, everything goes to the record label. And because of this, they basically went bankrupt. They lost their house. They lost, you know, all these bandmates lost a lot of financial I guess, security. And wow. basically, Tom Petty was like, this is effed up. You know, I want out of this contract. They said, no. <laughs> so <laughs> he basically, because he's a stubborn kind of guy, went on a tour called like the Bankruptcy Tour, where basically every, awesome. every single cent of the tour money that they made went to pay for lawyers Um so that they could basically sue the record label to regain the rights to their songs. And basically, they fought hard and actually ended up winning because the judge declared that, you know, at the time of them signing the rights over to this hippie guy, because some of the bandmates were under 18, they, mm-hmm. he ruled that they signed it under duress, which basically made the contract was null and void. So therefore, uh. Columbia had no grounds, and they basically got the rights to their stuff back. That's awesome. That, you know, to fight against a big record label was like unheard of. So yeah, and, that's and just, win. So that's pretty ballsy. That's, to yeah, do that. that's just a fun little anecdote about you know someone actually fighting a record label and winning, which rarely happens. I'm uh, I'm impressed that they were able to make enough money for the lawyers for yeah. that tour because don't tours usually lose money? Depending or on something, the, depending on the merchandising or how well they manage their finances, you know, they can they can make a couple hundred thousand on a big tour, but pretty mm. much every cent of that has to go to pay for lawyers. Mm. Uh, In that case, yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, that's just a that's more you know record label fuckery, I guess. <laughs> record um, label fuckery. Yeah, which we've mentioned many times in the past. Oh yes. Um another person who I guess kind of had his own fuckery, which maybe Peter wants to talk about because I know <laughs> I know you like him is um Ronald Ronald Isley of the Isley brothers. We talk about them often, so. Do I like him? I thought you liked the Isley brothers. Or am I yeah, thinking cool. of or am I thinking of the Spinners? Yeah, you're thinking of this. I mean, I like the Isley Brothers, too. They're cool. I know Spinners is like your super <laughs> all-time favorite. I thought Isley Brothers were up there. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, they're pretty cool. I don't listen to them as much, but they're, they're, they got good music. I can dig it. But um, I don't know if you want to talk about his shits. It's it's pretty cut and dry. Let's but. talk about the shits of Ronald Isley. <laughs> um, so if you don't know, which you, I mean, basically none of you know this. That's okay that Ronald Isley was um, the lead singer of the Isley Brothers. And if you don't know who they were, they were a pretty popular... Um, I think they were all... They were they were literally all brothers, I, yeah. I believe. Uh, there were three or four of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were 
pretty popular in, I would say, the late 60s, early 70s. Probably more like late 60s. Yeah. Um, a lot of early R&B soul music. They were good stuff. Even some early funk as well, I think. Um, so, Ronald Isley, when he was 66 years old, he declared bankruptcy, just like everyone else in this episode. Uh, and that was 1997. After the IRS seized his yacht, his cars, and his other property. So I guess he was living pretty large, but the IRS, obviously, they want their money. Yeah, I was going to say, the IRS doesn't fuck with you that hard unless you really owe them a lot of money. Yeah. It's like, I didn't pay taxes for four years. Now, I've heard that the IRS won't even, like, if you misrepresent your taxes, like, the first time, they won't even get mad they'll just be like hey just pay it and then whatever yeah they won't actually do anything but then if you do it two years in a row then they start getting pissed off so i don't know i don't know how long uh ronald isley was doing this but yeah you're right if if they're seizing all his stuff then they must have been after him for a while Mm -hmm. and at the moment he's currently serving i did no idea about this he's currently serving a 37 month sentence in indiana for five counts of tax evasion and one count of failing to file a tax return. Seriously, how hard is it to pay taxes? I, I don't mean to sound like a dweeb, but if you're making a lot of money, pay some of that money to the government, whatever. You know, there's loopholes. Yeah. There's so many loopholes nowadays for the rich where they pay almost nothing anyways. How hard is it to just find those and then be like, oh, I owe this much? Here's a check. Exactly. And and with that much money, I mean, obviously you're paying someone else to do your taxes and they know all the loopholes. Exactly. Yeah. People that so, rich don't uh, not don't not have accountants. I mean, for as long like they were I feel like the Isley brothers were popular for a long ass time. At least like the, the entirety of the seventies. Yeah, so I mean, they they made a ton of money. So the fact that he was not paying his tax if if he didn't have the money to pay the taxes, that's horrible money management on his part if he just didn't feel like paying his taxes and wanted to keep the money for himself well then that's just being dumb yeah exactly i don't i've never really understood how people think they're going to get away with that because i mean obviously the irs isn't going to not notice exactly that you're not paying them a shitload of money you know exactly <laughs> oh yeah um just a little bit more snippets on this. In 2006, he was convicted of tax evasion charges and sentenced to three years and one month in prison. Hence the 37-month sentence. Okay. Um, he... Oh, his, wait, so that was... I'm sorry, did did he serve that in 2006? Or the, yes, yes. He served it and was discharged April 13th, 2010. He okay, so the, that's not actually happening now, because I said it was, but I guess I was yes. correct about that. Oh, this is it sad. Recent. It says he was moved uh, after being discharged. He was moved to a halfway house in mm-hmm. St. Louis, Missouri, following early departure. Poor Ronald Leslie. Uh Oh, this is sad. He is listed as one of California's most delinquent taxpayers with really a three hundred and three thousand dollar debt from Jeez. a lien filed in October two thousand two. So he just, I don't know, did really didn't pay his taxes. Okay. Yeah, like I, I don't, I don't, I can't even like explain that away. So is he still? Because I, 
feel like at least some number of the brothers are still touring, you know, at casinos and whatever, you know, however these old bands still tour, quote unquote. Yeah. Is he, do you know if he's still doing stuff with them? I don't think so. I don't know. He, I think he's one of the older brothers, so oh, okay. maybe he's like not in the best shape to be doing that. I don't know. Hmm. So actually, I what I said earlier about him, whether it was he just didn't feel like paying his taxes or whether he couldn't, I don't think he could because he declared bankruptcy. And if you can, I don't think that's even possible, right? I don't know if it was a matter of he declared bankruptcy to try to avoid paying the taxes that they were coming after him for. Because some people do try to do that. They say, oh, you know, like I made $10 million last year, but this year I'm poor as shit, so I can't afford to repay those taxes. I'm, de- I'm de- going to declare bankruptcy to try to expunge those taxes or whatever. I mean, that- I mean, how, is, how does that even work, though, if you can pay them off? how I don't know. Who's, who's going to give you... Who's going to wipe your slate clean if you can pay that off, you know? It's it's just a matter of you trying to prove that you can't, and then if they're like, "Oh, look, here's all these assets you own that are like, you know, expensive like assets." Yacht. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you're, you're full of shit. I guess so. You know, I don't know. Sad stuff. Speaking of sad stuff, because he's dead. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's the funk radio I love. Let's uh let's talk about Isaac Hayes. <laughs> he he is dead, right? I don't know. Oh, he did die. Two thousand eight. Oh. Uh, was he He was chef. No. No, I know that, but yes, for listeners who don't know, he was not only a famous singer back in the day, but he was also the voice of Chef on South Park. Yeah. Before Hello. he died. Hello, children. That was my that was my one and only chef impression. That was beautiful. Yeah, unfortunately, before playing chef on South Park, he obviously performed music in the sixties and seventies, and had to declare bankruptcy in nineteen seventy six. Um, mm. The reason for this is kind of not of his doing. His record label went broke, and because they owed over six million dollars, and he was part of that record label. Part of that, you know, debt fall, fell on him. Uh, because, wow. Right? I can't even believe that can happen. I don't know what kind of contract that works out to be where basically, you know, if a record label's Jeez. in debt, that means, and you're an employee of that record label, that means you're in debt. Like, I don't I don't get what kind of contract that is, but... I mean, unless he had, like, a stake in the ownership, I don't that's, know how that would work. That's my guess. You know, you put some money down to have ownership in a record label, you're considered part owner. When they're in debt, you know... Because you're not incorporated, you're, mm. you know, per- personally liable for that debt, I guess. Yeah. So, because of this uh, financial hardship, he lost his house, along with most of his personal properties, and the rights to future royalties from all his music. Ugh. Which is probably why he went on to play chef, because he needed money. <laughs> There's probably some truth to that. Probably. Wow. Oh, poor Isaac Hayes. Was correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't he the one? Because I I know we talked about his death at some point on the show. Now that I remember that he did die, um, was he the one where? Or it might have been someone else. In like the last maybe ten years of his life or something, he had like really bad back problems and like he basically couldn't move. 
Uh, they did say that in 2006 he suffered a stroke. Okay, maybe it wasn't him. It must have been someone else. Oh, I know who you're talking about. You're talking about um, shit. I'm get, I always get the two confused. It's either Bobby Romack or Curtis Mayfield. Where like a light fell on him. Oh, it was Curtis Mayfield. You're right. Yeah, like a light fell on him, and he was par- and he was partially paralyzed because of it. Yeah. Remember that? And he was like always in pain. Or yeah, yeah. Suck. Damn, he had, like, that sucks. Chronic pain from it. And was like yeah. basically paralyzed from the waist down. That's messed up. I don't know why uh, I thought that was Isaac Hayes. Well, no, Isaac, you're you're not su- super far off base. He did have a stroke in 2006, which obviously limited some of his mobility. Oh, okay. Um, and he passed away in 2008. So he lasted two years after that, I suppose. Well, I guess both Isaac Hayes and Curtis Mayfield were two of the biggest names in, like, exploitation uh soundtrack music in the 70s true that so that could also be why i mixed them up it says it says when they declared bankruptcy yeah they him and his wife declared it they owed over six million and at the end of the bankruptcy proceedings in 90s in 77 he lost his home rights to royalties personal property all of this was just because of basically his stake in the record label and the fact that his albums were not selling. It says oh, okay. in 76, he released, you know, uh, the album Juicy Fruit, which had some decent <laughs> hits on it, but just didn't sell enough. Mm. You know, they weren't selling as as much as his previous albums, and therefore they had to declare bankruptcy. I guess I'm a little... Yeah, so I guess we were right about that. Yeah. Um, I'm a little surprised that he couldn't really sell albums because I thought he was pretty popular at least in the early 70s unfortunately sometimes you know with certain financial scenarios for artists one one not successful album one bad album can like send an artist reeling mm-hmm. financially or creatively where they're just like oh shit gravy train's <laughs> over you know <laughs> gravy train done crashed jj <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, listeners, the gravy train of funk radio goes on forever. Yeah. I was going to say something. Oh, I, I mean, you know, I, I don't blame him and his wife for taking stake in the record label because, you know, we are always talking about how much money the record label takes. And I think to take some kind of ownership in that mm-hmm. financially, generally financially, is a really good choice. Exactly. Um, I guess this is just one instance where... Yeah. Belly up, yeah. Yeah, it didn't go. Did not pan out. Yeah. True that, fortunately. Speaking of things not panning out, um, I guess the last person we wanted to talk about that had financial woes mm. was Andy Gibb of the Bee Gees. Another um, group of brothers. Yeah, it seems like brothers. They all have, they always have problems. Never never start a band with your brothers. That's the lesson here. You know, I wanted to say it was was our third or fourth episode, maybe, of this show. Like, way back, we did an episode about sibling groups. and um, We did. And I feel like the the problem there, uh, it's interesting that we're seeing some financial connection there. But uh, it always seemed like the problem was just getting along with each other. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, that was episode four that that we did that. We should do, like, Brothers Part 2. Yeah, we well, we there were sisters as well. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, we should try to find more. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, it seems like the problem was always, you know, people just getting along 
which obviously, you know, if you own a business with your family or obviously if you own a, run a band with your family, that's going to happen more so than if, if you're not. True. Anyway, I'll, I'll let you talk about Andy Gibb. Um, not a whole lot to say. I mean, he was part of the Bee Gees Brothers dynasty, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, had, you know, just like any other famous person back then in the 80s, had problems with drugs, had problems with managing his money. Mm-hmm. Um, this one, I was able to actually find an article from the Chicago Tribune in 1987 oh. um, that I can quote, which, you know, I think that's the hardest, that's the, that's the most, uh, primary source I think I've ever been able to find on Funk Radio. I think you're right. <laughs> That's um, really sad. Right? Um, it says here, quote, Pop singer Andy Gibb, who has three older brothers, shot to stardom as the BTs, has filed a personal bankruptcy petition that says he has less than $50,000 to his name and more than a million dollars in debts. Oof. The Miami resident, who lives in a penthouse apartment overlooking Bissane Bay, Gibb, 29, filed for Chapter 7 relief on Wednesday under the U.S. Bankruptcy Code. After a plan of repayment has worked out, he will be allowed to keep only 1000 in personal property and any primary residence that he may own. I'm going to Google Chapter 7, because I know Chapter 10 is what uh, businesses do. Oh, okay. Is Chapter 7, like, the personal, personal version of that? Probably. I don't... I'm not a bankruptcy lawyer so <laughs> you're not in a chapter 7 bankruptcy the individual is allowed to keep a certain exempt is allowed to keep certain exempt property most liens however such as real estate mortgages and security interests for car loans survive the value of the property may be claimed as exempt varies from state to state other assets if any are sold quote liquidated by the interim trustee to repay creditors my brain hurts I don't know what the fuck any of that meant <laughs> and I took business law. Oh, did you? Yeah, and I still. I'm just like, wait, what am I reading? It sounds <laughs> like basically, in under Chapter Seven, you can allot certain assets to be exempt from liquidation. Basically, means they can't take uh, shit from you. Okay. Um, but things like mortgages and cars, you know, you you own a car payment uh, can be liquidated. Okay. Basically, the thing that sucks about bankruptcy is, yeah, everything you can, you can, you can file for bankruptcy. You can have your your bank your debts reduced, but basically, they will take all of your shit in order to pay back those debts. So, well, it makes sense. Yeah, it's like you, you lose the debt, but you lose all your shit with it. You lose everything. You basically you, just start from scratch again. Yeah, you become a hobo. So, hopefully, no one ever has to do that. Like that, we know because that sucks. Yeah, for sure. Um, I also I was clear I was looking up for clarification on Andy Gibb. Yeah. Um, he actually wasn't a member of the Bee Gees. What? He he was a singer, kind of in his own right. Um, but his three older brothers, Barry, Robin, and Maurice, were the Bee Gees, and I guess he wasn't part of that group for some he, reason. He just did his own shit. Yeah, I guess. Are they all dead now? I think they're all dead. That might be true. I know that's, the three Bee Gees like, are dead, and if he's dead, then they're all dead, and that's really sad. I think Barry is the only one who's still alive. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. Um, keep, keep living. Robin died in 2012, which was 
about six months or so before we started this show, and I wanted we must have mentioned it. <gasps> then Maurice died in '03, mm. so Barry's the only one left. Sadness. So wait a minute, Andy Gibb died in '88. Wow. This bankruptcy thing happened in '87. Apparently, he died very shortly after. Okay, I'm actually going to read about his death because I'm curious. Yeah, um, um, I, have a, I have a blurb here real quick regarding oh, okay. that. Go for it. It just says, from a 1988 interview, Robin Gibb said that Andy was healthy and ready to begin recording again. Uh, three weeks before Andy died, Robin said, quote, he just went downhill so fast, saying, quote, he was in a terrible state of depression. He got over the drugs, but the depression remained. In uh, March of 88, Andy Gibb celebrated his 30th birthday in London while working on a new album. Soon after, he entered John Radcliffe Hospital in Oxford, complaining of chest pains, and died five days after his birthday. That's sad. I'm sad now. He died as a result of myocarditis, an inflammation of the heart muscle caused by a recent viral infection, which was exacerbated by his years of cocaine abuse. That definitely doesn't help. Your heart is doing cocaine. Baseball Robin, points. oh, sorry. I was going to say, Robin said, quote, he was also not eating properly, and the lack of nutrition also damaged his heart. Yeah, I don't doubt it. Yeah, doing cocaine is like putting your heart up to, like, jumper cables all the time. Uh, you know, that's terrible for you, just health-wise. That's sad. Yeah, 30 years old, that's young. It seemed like he, yeah, it seemed like, because it was saying that he was the youngest of the Gibb brothers, and then he died in 88. I was like, wow, he must have been pretty young. I guess 30, yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Well, that's too bad. Yeah. Sadness. Well, let's, uh, let's, I don't know if we can even end this episode on a happy note, because everything was sad. Everyone went bankrupt and died. Well, Ronald Isley is still alive. Yeah. I think. Everyone else is dead. George Clinton is still alive. And Tony Braxton. Tony Braxton's still alive. So that's three out of six. Six. That's half. We're half, yeah. That's that's good. Which is honestly probably better than usual. <laughs> <laughs> is that, yeah, that's completely true, unfortunately. Oh gosh. Yeah. So yeah, um that was I guess six funk and solars that had to declare bankruptcy at some point in their life. I'm sure there's many others, but these were the main six that I could find in about thirty minutes of Googling. Well, listeners, if you've ever filed for bankruptcy, tell us on Facebook at facebook.com slash getyourfunk. And if you know any other artists that declared bankruptcy, please let us know. We can do a bankruptcy part two. God. <laughs> um, where, so where else are we on the internet, listeners? We're also on iTunes. If you search in the podcast section, just look for Funk Radio and we're there. You can also find us on soundcloud.com slash getyourfunk. Um, we, we primarily put all of our episodes up on overmental.com, but they also go um, to SoundCloud and iTunes as well. So three awesome places where you can find us. We hope you enjoyed this enlightening episode on personal f- uh, finance. That's from true. Pro- we, from we, Professor Kyle. We, yeah, we haven't really, uh, and Professor Peter, we haven't really talked about uh, finances very much on the show. We, we've certainly... Um, ran the gamut of topics, but I think finances is not one we really touched much. Nope. 
we did have an episode um this is <laughs> this is only like barely relevant we did do an episode a while back about songs about money but that's I think that's the closest. I was the sad thing was as we were going through the artist, I was trying to think of any of their songs that had to do with money. Oh, really? That's but funny. Aside from like Marvin Gaye's "Inner City Blues," where he's like, "Oh shit, poor people can't pay taxes." Yeah, you know. But that's more of like a, just a general commentary on society than like his own personal finances. Right. Now, what's that song? Oh, I'm gonna forget the name of the artist right now, but it's the song "Is Money." That's what I want. I want to say it was Barrett Strong. Thank you. You're a genius. Um, I don't know about his own personal finances, but apparently money is what he wanted. <laughs> How sad would that be if he was singing that? Like, it was a serious message of, hey, I'm bankrupt. Give me money. <laughs> He's, like, singing that on the street, like, asking for money, panhandling. Gosh. Well, if you're new to funk radio, then you'll know that we're pretty terrible. Actually, no, you won't know that, but now you will. Or something. I'm really terrible at talking. Which so is not I. good for a podcast host. Because that's literally all you do is talk. Alright, <laughs> listeners. You'll hear us next time on Funk Radio. In your e-hole. <laughs>